You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Hey, welcome back to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he's raising money to save the clock tower. It's Jeff McLarge-Huge. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hey, Bill. How's it going? Uh, I'm fine, okay? <laughs> I'm doing good. All right? Good. Yes. All right. That's all you need so, to know. <laughs> so, I'll with that. Be, be good or else. Yes, being good is good. What, what, are you writing a book? What, are you making a podcast? <laughs> What's up? How you doing? I'm all right. As a way to sort of pass time and avoid sort of plonking myself down in front of the TV, I picked up yet another weird hobby project to start, and I started to learn how to make sourdough bread using only three ingredients. <laughs> sourdough and what else? Well, no, actually, it's just wheat flour, like whole wheat ground flour, yep. water, and thyme. <laughs> and you, you sort of do the, whatever yeast or bacteria is in the air is what becomes what becomes leavening the bread. Time as in T H Y M E, right? No, T I M E as in time oh, really? as in the linear <laughs> the linear passage of of uh, a human life. Oh, so, I, th- yeah. I, th- I thought that was like the the key ingredient was this like spice time. No, no, nope. A key ingredient is just the, just the, the the passage of moment. And it's really kind of fun and interesting to watch how it happens. And I sort of started this project and then I was like, I should probably research this so I don't accidentally poison my whole family with like bread made out of tuberculosis bacteria or something. <laughs> you get like the Salem witch trial starting right, up all right, over exactly. So what I ended up doing was making my first like, you know, couple of sets of this stuff and then joining a community that makes sourdough or talks about sourdough bread. And I've come to the conclusion that the people that make sourdough bread as a hobby are the most detail-oriented, scientific, and borderline obnoxious people in the history of the internet. It's worse than science fiction fans. It's worse than comic book fans. It's worse than... Like, I I read things that make no sense, and I understand things like percentages and stuff. Yep. And you need to know, like, I don't know, freaking space math to follow some of the recipes that they put out. It's like, I use 180% water. Like, I don't know what that means. To 30% spelt, to 25% stone ground flour, I'd say 13% Martian rock space dust. And it's like, that's already 274%. And then there's like three other ingredients with different percentages. Like, I don't understand what you get when you, how do you make something that's 180%, 180%, 180% fluid? Like, that's, what was it, water plus a double water? I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me. In, in sort of taking this on as, as something to do. I found myself falling back onto the skills that I learned how to make regular. I already know how to make regular bread a lot. I make a lot of it. So like finding finding a way to like ignore the artisan quality of the conversations that are about making sourdough bread and finding the information in it that's important. Like this probably won't kill you is really the sort of baseline that I'm looking for. It's a good ha- chance. Has, has, yeah. has been a challenge. <laughs> so 
If I was a betting man, this is not going to kill you. But the way you're talking is something that's, you know, taking me uh, a little bit by surprise. That sourdough bread isn't exactly a flavor. It's the fact that you let it sit for a long time. Is that what, like, like... It's both. Okay, uh, so it's sour because the dough is fermenting. Yes. And and it makes it sour, like sour milk. Yeah. Sour grape juice becomes wine. Sour wheat hops becomes beer. Wheat hops becomes beer, right? It's not like Sour Patch Kids candy is what I'm saying. No. But it does have a sour flavor. Right. Because of the fermentation. It just isn't that sort of pull your cheeks in alum style. Right, right. Which is what I was thinking of, right. Yeah, it's not like that, no. Now, here's my question for you, okay? If you're making sourdough bread and the majority of the stuff that you do is waiting, how much different is this from sitting on the couch? It's like only one other (laughs) element involved. (laughs) No, there's a lot more to it. So you got to – here's when you make – when you actually sit down to make sourdough bread, you have to touch the shit like every – 30 minutes for the for a whole day uh-huh. and do this particular ritual where you fold it a certain way in a certain direction and a certain thing to to make the glutinous fibers do something and then you can add more flour to it and then you keep doing that and it takes all bloody day to make a couple of loaves of bread it's, it's this weird thing that requires maintenance it's like the analog version of the old tamagotchi toys <laughs> you got to keep feeding the stuff and there's discard and there's all these other things that you have to kind of deal with it's interesting enough that i keep sort of reading up on how to do it but no matter how i read up on it it never is like practical like the point of this sort of three ingredient bread is its simplicity as long as it's mixed right it, it should eventually start to grow and then the the bacteria that you want to make this the dough rise will kill the bacteria that you don't want to make the dough rise and then will make you sick. There's just so much that people are putting into it to measure the quality of what comes out of their oven. And I'm like, is it bread? <laughs> All right, we're good. You know. Here's the thing. In my world, time is money. So that loaf of bread that you're making is probably worth about $800. <laughs> well, I only sell it to my kids at $10 a slice. Nice. So. All right. Uh, before we get the show rolling, I got a trivia question for you and an odd one at that. When aren't they odd? That's what I want to know. Oh, no. You're not ready. You're not ready for this jelly. What flower is associated with bedwetting? <laughs> what flower? Yep. Is this, I feel like I feel like I'm clarifying. What flower is associated with bed? We, we're talking flower like F-L-O-W-E-R? Yes. Not the stuff that you're making your, uh, your sourdough with. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> That's a new key ingredient. It's piss bread. You just... <laughs> Uh, I don't know, but I'm going to think about it over the course of the show, and I'll give you an answer when we get to the end. So, this is the week beginning March the 22nd. Happy Equinox, Jeff. Hey. Yeah. Uh, What do you got? What do you got for our first day? Well, after standing an egg up on my counter on the narrow side on the Equinox. uh, March 22nd, 1978. Program produced in England called All You Need Is Cash, featuring the non-existent band The Ruddles. Mm -hmm. Premieres on NBC TV. It's shown on NBC TV. It was shown on Saturday Night Live. And I actually remember watching it when it aired. Oh, wow. My cousin was babysitting me that night. Her name is Lynn Beth Rigo. And she let me stay up to watch Saturday Night Live. And that's what was on it. Yeah, if you're freaking nine years old and you're staying up until one in the morning, that's awesome. Yeah, yep. For those of you who don't know the Ruddles, uh, all you need is cash. It's a mockumentary. It's the first mockumentary. And it follows a band that's parodying the Beatles. So it's sort of the birth of like the full-on parody record or parody style. It follows a band that's mirrored on the Beatles that goes through the same set of stages that the Beatles went through and plays songs that might as might have been Beatles songs right. 
but are just a little bit different and are very, very good. One of the cast members from this is is a guy named Neil Inez who did all those songwriting. The other cast member is Eric Idle from Monty Python's Flying Circus. Awesome. Monty Python and the Beatles have always had a relationship because George Harrison was involved a little bit with Apple Records and stuff. So the music that they put together sounds a lot like the Beatles. I think all of them appear at one point or another in the documentary as well. Oh, cool. And it's really, really, really funny. Uh, and it sort of set the stage for, for a couple of different things. But uh, What I remember about it is <laughs> we talked a couple of weeks ago about John Lennon making that misquote about uh, the Beatles being more popular than Jesus. And in the Ruddles, right. the joke was, no, we said we were more popular than Rod. Rod Stewart. And then that kind of like gave birth that whole the Ruddles kind of like, you know, set the stage, ha ha ha, so to speak, um, you know, for Spinal Tap, which only came out a couple of years later. Yes. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of a lot of what was done here is is stuff that I don't think Spinal Tap borrowed from it, but certainly was influenced by. Sure. Could You could make the argument that Weird Al Yankovic, as he was starting his song parody career. Right. Right around this time too, I'm I, I would I would venture a guess that he had also watched this and was like, hi, ah, I can see you know where some of what he was already doing paralleled what he was seeing in in this. Sure, it's it's well worth looking for. You can find clips of it and stuff on YouTube, and the soundtrack is really funny. Yeah, um, I think I watched it on YouTube with you a couple of years ago. Yes, um, and and like there are a lot of like fun takes on Beatles song names. So on the cover of like one of their fake records that they show, they show this like the song WC Fields Forever <laughs> instead of Strawberry Fields Forever, and everything is sort of a cheeky take on 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 the Beatles, and it's really 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 funny. So it's it's well worth hunting down if you are interested in. It. You hear that, everybody? The Ruddles. All right, moving on. March the 23rd, 1839, is the first recorded use of the idiom OK. There's a lot of speculation as to what it actually stands for. One of the things that it stands for, all correct, but spelt wrong. So (laughs) O-L-L-K-O-R-R-E-C-T. Yeah. So it stands for all correct, which is funny. Another... Etymology is that the word I'm looking for? That's Etymology, the word, yep. the word of it is that the OK sign that you do, where you put your fin, your index finger and your thumb together, and then you get your three other fingers sticking out, kind of looks like it says OK. So there's some more etymology of that word. There's also because this word was first used in 1839, and as as we have learned, if anything from from this show. Between the years 1800 and 1900 is the years of the weirdest politics in the history of weirdness. Says you. <laughs> so, OK got co-opted by the partisans as part of Martin Van Buren's campaign, and their organization was named the OK Club. I guess that was meant to reference like his nickname of Old Kinderhook because he was born in Kinderhook, New York. That's a, that's a long way around the shed <laughs> to tie it to OK. Yeah. But, again, this is the same... A per- a period in American history where Tippecanoe New and Tyler 2 became a slogan, and that doesn't mean anything anymore. Right. <laughs> it used to deal with like stuff that was related to politics and President Tyler's, or I don't have a President Tyler, Governor of New York Tyler's like corruption. So the, there's all kinds of weird ass stuff like this in, in etymology of, of, of phrases. Hey, you, you want to move on to the next one? Okay. Yes, let's do that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from the etymology of words to, uh, a story that we both believe inspires a song from a Pink Floyd album that 
one of us loves and one of us doesn't. March 24th, 1944, uh, Royal Air Force rear gunner Nicholas Alchemade survives a jump from his Lancaster bomber of 18,000 feet. What? Without He jumped out without a parachute, that guy. 18,000 feet? 18,000 feet. Yeah, that's a lot of feet. All right. To the calculator. Let me, let me figure this out. 18,000 feet. That comes out to like about three and a half miles. Three and a half miles. Now, terminal yeah. velocity is roughly 120 miles an hour, I think, for a human body. So this guy's going to be falling for like a minute and a half, or a little bit more. Of just like... A minute and a half, yep. That's a, lo- that's, a, that's a long time to be falling. That's a long time to be contemplate your mortality, knowing that at the end of when you stop falling is probably when your mortality is, is going to catch up with yep. you, right? But this dude managed to survive. So I guess part of it was he was able to like keep his arms and, and, and legs wide enough to slow his fall a little bit. And he fell into a bunch of pine trees and soft snow under the pine trees. <laughs> and the, the pine trees and the soft snow cushioned his fall enough so that he survived with only a sprained leg. I want to give this guy... All the credit in the world for having the presence of mind to flying squirrel his body out <laughs> to slow down his uh, his, his descent from like 120 miles an hour to like 111 miles an hour. <laughs> enough so that he could like steer, you know, steer himself, I guess, or, or or get lucky enough to land in some pine trees that didn't one impale yeah. him and two. You know, he hit it just the right way to, to break his fall. And and, and, he and he didn't break any bones. He said he sprained his ankle. Sprained his leg. He sprained his leg, yeah. He got caught. Germans caught him. Yeah. I'm sure they caught him because they could smell the load that he put in his pants on the way down. Because I know I, I would have. clapped like, at least. Jesus. Right? Yeah, I guess I guess they took him to the hospital. And the Gestapo was like, how did you get here? He's like, I fell out of a plane. <laughs> like, how did you really get here? <laughs> no, no, I did, really. I fell out of a plane. Like, no, I didn't fall out of a plane. I, I did. I fell out of a plane. I, no, I was born at night, but not last night, you know. Look, in 30 years, I'll send you the Pink Floyd record with the Gunner's <laughs> Dream on it, and that'll explain everything. Oh, not that one. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, this guy fell three and a half miles and didn't break any bones. I know somebody that was, like, walking down the stairs carrying laundry, and they didn't even fall. They just, like, misstepped yeah. and jammed their heel and they ended up yeah. breaking a bone in their foot. And he had no idea it was broken. He just thought he twisted his ankle or whatever. But his ankle ended up swelling up like a Kasama melon, right? Oh, yeah. And this is just yep. like yep. one stair. This guy fell falls three and a half miles. Right. I, I got hit in the arm with a soccer ball. It broke my <laughs> arm. It happens. And to go one, one, one and a half, 90 seconds of plummet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and making your peace with the universe to like imagine opening your eyes and you're like looking up through all those pine trees and you're like i'm, I'm still alive and, and of course like my, you know die. my my image of world war ii is like hogan's hero so the guy above him is got a monocle of course you know right and, of course. <laughs> you know what though the the dude that i work with that broke his, his ankle like that he to the best of my knowledge never got captured by nazis so there's a little push and pull there right Right, right, right. All right, so let's go on to the 25th. Ooh, here's a success story. Uh, March the 25th, 1993, uh, Dave Thomas from the Wendy's Old Fashioned Hamburger Chain. Uh, You remember him from the commercials, I'm sure. Uh, Dave Thomas on March 25th, 1993, at the age of 60, 
got his GED. Never let it be said that you can't have a lifelong career at Wendy's if you don't have a high school education. Uh, so, yeah, and, I mean, Wendy's is, I mean, a huge burger chain. Dave Thomas is, yeah. you know, a, a very, I'm sure he's a very wealthy man several times over. He ultimately, like, had to have, like, so many bypass surgeries. I guess he ate too many of his own burgers. What's, uh, what's really funny about this story is, so he gets his GED, and then he was awarded an honorary diploma by Florida High School, who voted him most likely to succeed. <laughs> Nothing like hedging your yeah. bets there. So, so that they can get a bequest from his alumni association letter that they're going to send out later. Hey, by the way, we need some more soccer balls for our team. I'll send them to you. They're all going to have Wendy's logos on them, but you'll have them. And uh, that's interesting. Like It was, it was like 19... 19- it was right around 93 or 94, too, that Wendy's sort of overtook Burger King as the number two uh, fast food burger chain right, in the U.S. Right. for a while. And you know what I, I love about Wendy's is their business model of they're not f***ing around. Because right. McDonald's has all these you know specialty burgers all the time, and they always go with like the trends and stuff like that. And McDonald's still confusingly has a like health menu and all that and right around the same time they came out with their shaker salads and all that wendy's just doubled down and they're like baconator (laughs) i want three patties i want seven slices of cheese and i want a half pound of bacon i think it's a huge burger right and there's not even a a, a piece of lettuce it's there's there's no fiber in this at all it's just a big slob of fat and grease and you love it I think that wasn't Wendy's the first one to put the like the dollar menu into rotation too. Ooh, I think they might have been the ones who invented that Solid as well. Solid question. Yeah, that the other yeah, chains, yeah. that the other chains picked up on. I and I know that you can still go there at certain times of the year and and buy coupons for like ninety nine cent frosties, which are very. Oh yeah, that's one of their greatest deals. I was actually just there a couple of weeks ago. Well, not a couple of weeks ago. It was around Christmas, but they were like, "Hey, do you want to buy a coupon book for ninety nine cents that gets you like." Basically, a life lifetime supply of frosties, and I foolishly yeah, of course I do. I foolishly said no because I I rarely go to Wendy's, uh, and I can't believe now that I think about it, I can't believe I said no because the coupon book literally pays for itself before you leave the drive-through. You know, right? Exactly. Can I use these now? You certainly can. I'll have all the frosties. Give me the just give me the coupon book equivalent in frosties. Oh. What have I done? Oh my gosh! I can't feel my brain. Next up, what do we got for the 26th? Uh, March 26th, 1971, the Benny Hill Show tops TV ratings in the UK. Yeah, the Benny Hill Show came to the US on UHF TV. So it was an import here that those of Bill and I's generation remember for being incredibly ribald compared to sitcoms and variety shows that we were comfortable with, like Carol Burnett Show, which was... Funny and and you know Donnie and Marie and Sonny and Cher, Captain Antonio, the Osmond family, and all the other millions of them that right. were out there, and the Benny Hill Show, which was a music and sketch sketch comedy variety show, was way more adult oriented than those, and really really yeah. funny. Uh, in the, yeah, it was, we'll say in the early days of the internet, in the uh, I'm not going to say the early days of PC because PC actually dates back to the 70s. But, you know, whenever the, the, the politically correct kind of movement started moving in in the early 2000s, one of the first victims, and even though he was dead already, was Benny Hill. You know, because they really were picking on his uh, his brand of humor because it was very 
you know, sexist and, and that. Yeah, it's, it's 1971, yeah. man. Like, time yeah, changes. It's definitely things. of its time. I think I remember you yeah. said you were, like, showing it to your kids and they were just looking, they were yeah, looking they, at you they, like you had a, like yeah, like you had a lobster coming out of your, your ear or something. Yeah. Well, it's really funny, like this, like the surrealist comedy that was a, it's com, it's compatriots, like the Monty Python's yep. Flying Circus. My kids yep. totally get. But Benny Hill, they're like, well, I don't know why this is funny. And I was like, she was ugly, the moonshiner's daughter, but I loved her still. <laughs> Nothing from that. And and they're like, what does that mean? And I'm like, come on. Like, there's all kinds of like really funny wordplay. There was some goofy slapstick. Yep. There was some parodies of TV shows that were really funny and American television as well. And His facial expressions were yeah. unbelievably that's that right there. I, I I bring up a lot of times about comedy and the art of comedy. I like I always bring up the straight man, but another very important thing is the facial expressions. Right. And Benny Hill had them in had spades. Yeah, oh my yeah. god, yeah. I mean, some of the stuff that's I'm gonna make air quotes when I say this, that problematic is like when he he plays like a Chinese. He has a character that's like a Chinese guy. Yeah. But I remember this this sketch where he's explaining how they play this traditional game in China called Oh Damn to Bad Joe. Yep. Interviewer's like, well, can you explain it to me? And he describes pool, <laughs> like a pool table. And he's like, when, you know, when uh, the person can't get the ball in a hole, we say, oh, damn to bad Joe. Like to set up like that long form punchline of oh, damn to bad Joe. It's, it's a long way around, but it was really funny. Anyway, Benny Hill Show. I remember he read he read this poem one time about uh, a boy that found a bird and nursed him back to health. At the at the end of the poem, he lets the bird go. He says something goes uh, about the bird coming back, and he goes, and then he swooped, and then he pooped right in my eye. <laughs> I thought, well, that's bloody rude. And go, oh, there's gratitude. And I hope they never cross a pigeon with a cow. <laughs> And my father said, well, there's a caper. I'll go get a bit of paper. I said, Dad, don't be daft. He's miles away by now. <laughs> I, I absolutely love that poem. I actually read it at a spoken word thing one time on the anniversary of my father's death because uh, Benny Hill had just died that same week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my father was a huge Benny, Benny Hill fan. Yeah, my, my dad liked him too. And it's like Like we said, it's... It's humor of its time. If To go back and watch it and say, oh, God, I can't believe it. You have to understand that that's the way it was. It, it, right. Is it right by today's standards? No, absolutely not. But right. it's it's of its time. It's a, it's, it's still funny. It's yeah. I mean, it's still funny if you can keep it in context. Yeah. Right. Yes, exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. But it is very low-brow kind of humor. That's what we're going with uh, right now with our next day. <laughs> Ready for this? March 27th, 1998. Sildenafil, which is better known to the world as Viagra, put out by the Pfizer Corporation, becomes the first oral drug approved for use in the U.S. for the treatment of erectile dysfunction. Uh. Now, yeah, the little blue pill. Now, yeah. what, uh, what makes this notable that's not what it's original it's it's kind of like post-it notes it was <laughs> it wasn't intended to be a boner pill it was made for something else uh, it's originally developed as treatment for angina and the oh. jokes just write themselves <laughs> it must have been interesting to be in that test group like so how does your chest feel does it hurt yeah but you know what I'm like feeling really good. I'm like, <laughs> it's like uh, Big Trouble in Little China. You know, I can do things no one can do. <laughs> That's the scene where they drink the potion that makes them all excited. 
It must have been something. I was like, are you getting the same results that I am? Did you look at patient 222? I did. What was he doing when you went into his room? He was touching himself. <laughs> That's what 24 was doing. And 20, these guys are all in their 60s. You know, they're watching Benny Hill. <laughs> Interestingly enough, the next test group over, they were trying on different okay. styles of gray sweatpants. Well, the, the thing is, like, it's much better result than they had with the banana spider, you know, testing, which oh, was like, yes. they don't want to put the spiders in their pants. What do we do? Do we have to knock them out and, like, make that happen or what? Like, how do we make this? Like, <laughs> did you go in to see number 22 for that group? Yeah, he was he was standing on a chair shrieking as a spider was making a big circle around him. Can you imagine this? They get this, like, double blind test. It's like, okay, uh, we're going to give group A a placebo. <laughs> group B gets Viagra. Group C gets a spider bite on the dick. What do you think? So you'll be able to tell which group you're in, depending on. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Where's my pill? Oh, you don't get a pill. <laughs> Wait, I thought you said this was double blind. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Ah, <laughs> uh, Viagra. Still covered by all health insurance plans, and yet birth control is not. Yeah. Uh, uh, so go yeah. figure. Here, here we are 23 years later, and we're still making jokes about it, so... Well, if your laughter lasts more than four hours, you should contact your healthcare provider. It's so easy to make jokes about erectile dysfunction. You know why? Because it's not hard. (laughs) 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 All right. Next group. Okay. Next (laughs) next group. Next. uh, All right. (laughs) March 28th. Next day. Next day. Last day. Yes, the next day. March 28th, 1922, uh, the first microfilm device is introduced. Setting in motion a trope and or a device that will be used in literally every single spy anything that's ever been written, produced, or directed by anyone about anything. So microfilm, which is a teeny tiny piece of film that takes a teeny tiny picture and a teeny tiny camera so that you can sneak that teeny tiny camera into a place and take pictures of things you're not supposed to take pictures of. Starts out in 1922. Now, was this uh, was this invented before or after the hollowed out fake molar that you can store the microfilm inside your, t- <laughs> your teeth? Right. Yes, it was invented. Uh, I think it was invented after that, uh, or or after that, because you, you put other things in the molar before you could put microfilm in there. Yeah, up until that so, point, people were just storing like a grain of rice. <laughs> yes, yes. Just in case I get hungry down the road, yeah. it's a snack. But after that, and, and it was before the you know the first of the James Bond stories were written, where at some point microfilm is a word or an idea appears in probably every single one of them. Give me the microfilm. Uh, yeah, I got so used to hearing the the term microfilm when I was a kid because, like you said, it's a it's such a spy movie trope, and it made its way into like the you know the spy kids nineteen seventies Saturday morning cartoons. And all that. Right. So microfilm was like something they always use. And then I started hearing the word microfiche, which is what is that? That's like the projector to show the microfilm. Yeah, Mike. Well, microfiche is different in that microfiche is a it's a camera. It's a way to project a snapshot of a document or something. Okay. Usually, it's a document so that you can see it. So that the document, usually it's rare, can be preserved. So okay. back before there were PDFs and stuff. If you wanted to go to the library and see, like, the Constitution, mm-hmm. you could get a microfiche that was a photograph of the Constitution, and that would you put it into a, a machine that projected it onto a little, oh, like, 12-inch screen that you could scroll around in and see the details of that document. Uh, yeah, they would do that with uh, newspapers, too. We're on microfiche. Newspapers, yeah. yep. Okay, all right. Exactly. As a way to archive old paper assets. Yep. 
for longevity that's and research purposes so you could do it that way yes because i would hear the word right they would say microfiche and like my brain there was like this weird jumping off point because i would think they're gonna say microfilm because i'm so into these like uh right. saturday morning cartoons and then they say microfiche and i'm like I, would you what because as far as i know fiche is not a word no what well, i mean you could also say like i do you have the microfiche and you say well, yes, and then you hand them a very small guppy. I was about to say, yeah, it sounds like the the old the old Portuguese woman at work. What they have, yeah, exactly. what, this is what they eat during Lent. Yeah, the microfish. <laughs> hey, <laughs> how much fish is in that fish cake you got there? It's microfish. <laughs> Not so much. Uh, Let's get on to the celebrity birthdays. March the twenty second, eighteen eighty seven. A man by the name of Leonard Marx, who you would know as Chico Marx. Which one of the Marx brothers is that? That's Chico. It's the the one with the hat, the one that talks like uh, like with the Italian accent. Oh, all right, yeah, the one that I know as Chico Marx. Yeah, uh, I don't I don't know why that is that everybody pronounces it Chico. Maybe it's because of Chico and the man. No, it's Chico. Uh, all the Marx brothers had nicknames. They called right. Groucho Groucho because he was kind of like the boss of the group, and he was always. Like in a bad mood, I guess. Harpo, obviously, because he played the harp. And they called Chico Chico because he was a girl chaser. Oh. Yep. He was also a compulsive gambler. He always was playing cards and stuff like that. And huh. famously, Groucho had invested and invested and invested a lot of money in the stock market. And when the stock market crashed, Groucho lost everything. Groucho was broke at one point. And Chico let him borrow, I think it was like $30,000. Chico had never invested a dime. All of his money, he, you know, just had it in a mattress or whatever. And he gave Groucho $30,000 cash to reinvest. So it's not bad for a compulsive gambler. You'd think he would have brought that mattress to Vegas and been like, put it all on black. Let it ride. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let it ride. (laughs) Chico Marx, why a duck? Why a no chicken? Uh, you can't fool me. There is no sanity clause. That's what I <laughs> there ain't no that. sanity clause. Uh, yep. uh, March 23rd, 1968. Damon Albarn, the uh, voice behind some of the Gorillas and former lead singer of Blur, was born in London. Oh, wow. Um, I did not know that. The Gorillas, to me, I, I just thought they were like anonymous, you know? But nope. no, is it one of the guys yeah, from Blur? Yeah, it's Damon Albarn. Oh, I forget the name of the cartoonist that he worked with, but the the idea is that the members of the actual musical band will change, but the characters that they sort of play don't. Okay. And they've their their albums are festooned with guest stars like Indonesian rappers and weird Ukrainian singer ladies and other people that no one knows. That is strange. It's they're they're really, really weird records. They're great though. Yeah, all the stuff that I've heard from Gorillas I like. And Blur was not a 90s band that I liked at all. That, woohoo! Yeah, I was all done with that from the second I heard it. But, yeah, that oh, that's interesting. I had no idea it was the same, well, one of the same people. Blur's, like, Blur's funny. That there's a, There was this whole period in 90s rock, like around 96 to like, know, early 2000s, where Blur and Oasis and Pulp were all sort of fighting it out on the charts in England, and they had multiple singles. The only band that made it over here with any success was Oasis. Right. Well, I mean, um, Blur had that song number two, the one I was just kind of... Yeah, they had... It was like... But what I mean is, like, they had that, but Oasis had, like, seven singles right, that went yeah. to up the charts here. Blur had one. And there was all kinds of animosity between them, I guess, in the press as well. It's still, I don't think it's abated, <laughs> now that I think about it. 
But uh, after Blur sort of fell apart and Albarn started trying to put together another band that probably didn't have as many problems as Blur did, he thought, again, like, you know, the guy that put the Archies together, like, these goddamn monkeys want their freedom? Yeah. Well, I'll make a cartoon band! Well, that's kind of what he did. And Gorillaz has a bunch of records out. They're a good band. Cool. All right. Next up. This is a good one. All right. Next up. March 24th, 1943. G.I. Joe. So G.I. Joe is not who you think it is. G.I. Joe, in this particular case, is a pigeon. And I did not mis- mispronounce that. I'm talking a, pi- a pigeon. Pigeon. Is he a pigeon that comes with like a tank playset or some fatigue pants? No, but this pigeon has a beard, which is strange that because army <laughs> people never had beards. So anyway, uh, our, our good friend uh, G.I. Joe, the pigeon. G.I. Joe was a carrier pigeon. Uh, so in 1943, during World War II... G.I. Joe is credited for saving over 1,000 British troops. U.S. air bombings were scheduled to go, uh, you know, against German positions in Italy. Uh, however, the British troops had already captured the village. So unable to get oh. the, the message to the Americans to not bomb, you know. <laughs> they, <laughs> please, please don't bomb this village yeah. that we're all in. Yeah. Yeah. They sent G.I. Joe, the, the, the carrier pigeon. And the pigeon traveled. Now, check this out. This this. <laughs> I just imagine they like greased it up and then like squeezed it in their palms to like launch it because this pigeon went about 20 miles in 20 minutes and it got there just in time to halt the bombings. That's 60 miles an hour, that's, man. That's, that's fast a, for a pigeon. Yeah, that's a... <laughs> yep. Must have been a special military grade combat pigeon. That's why. <laughs> our, our friend G.I. Joe died in 1961, which gives, uh, I don't know what the life expectancy on pigeons tends to be. But that, yeah, that's a that's that's a good ripe eighteen year age that's for a, a pigeon. Yep, that's a long time. I'm sure you got plenty of pigeon accolades from the British, who I'm sure you know took him in and were like, "You're a good pigeon, aren't you? You saved a bunch of us." Somebody brought this question up to me one time, and I hated him for it. Have you ever seen a baby pigeon? No, they're all the same size. <laughs> well, they just hatch fully, fully formed. Apparently, yeah. Oh. All right, next up. March 25th, 1969, one-hit wonder, an English singer and songwriter and actress, so technically not a one-hit wonder, but a one-hit wonder here in the States, Kathy Dennis is born. I liked her. I liked her, too, and she had a hit, minor hit, called Coming to Get My Love, right as... Yeah, that was with D-Boss, I believe, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, D-Mob. D-Mob, D-Mob. And D-Mob, yep. And then she she had a single after that as a solo artist. But it, I, I don't think it made it into the double, the single digits of the top forty, right. and then she, she disappeared from the U.S. But she had a bunch of dance tracks in England that were very popular. Yeah, I always thought she was adorable. Yeah, she's very um, pretty. She had like short reddish hair. Yep. yep. She's very stylish and very interesting, and she sort of came around at the, the end part of that like Taylor Dane, Jane Child. Yeah. Not quite alternative, not quite mainstream, not quite whatever. Hip hop was really becoming a big thing. New Wave Soul was a big thing. And then Nirvana destroyed the music industry. And it was just about that time when when Coming to Get My Love was out. And then, boop, she was gone. Hopefully she had a better investor than uh, Groucho Marx did. <laughs> yeah, so she could borrow some from Chico if he was chasing girls still. Yeah. Well, she was attractive enough, so he was probably right there at her. All right. Hey, Ella, coming to get you love. <laughs> All right. Uh, next up. On March the 26th, 1950, diminutive actor Martin Short. I always I always liked Martin Short. He was he was great in The Three Amigos with Chevy Chase and uh Do you want to die with that CC gun? 
It's Steve Martin. I couldn't get it out. Yeah, Steve Martin. He was on Saturday Night Live, and everybody seems to remember his character, Ed Grimley, which was kind of like a, a spazzy, kind of nerdy dude. That was an SCTV character, too. Yeah. He did that on SCTV as well. But there was this other character he used to do on Saturday Night Live. He was, it was a lawyer called Nathan Thurm, and he had like slicked you know, slick to the side hair, and he always smoked a cigarette that the ash was just like dangling off of. Wicked condescending. He was like, I know that. You don't think I know that? Of course I know that, right? So I watched this documentary about Martin Short, or maybe it was a special that he did with um, Steve Martin a couple of years ago, but he was talking about that character, and he had based that character on the person that did like hair backstage at Saturday Night Live. It was, yeah. it was a woman, you know? And... He based that character on her because she was very condescending and talked down to everybody like that. And then somebody had asked her one time, they're like, you know that character Nathan Thurm that Martin Short does? She's like, yeah. Do you know that's based on you? And she said, I know that. You think I don't know that? Of course I know that. <laughs> of course I know that. <laughs> I liked his later character, um, Jiminy Glick. Yes. Yeah. He does the insane celebrity interviews. Yes. Those were always really funny and, and cutting too and sort of helped set the stage for but it's that kind of comedy that ultimately guys like what's his face from borat would get would get some distance in by having that character who people think is a real person that's not right. and they think they're on a real interview show that's not and they start getting asked the most bananas questions that you could ask right or getting into an argument with the host or whatever because you know he, they don't realize it's a guy in character yeah it's only, yeah like a kamikaze style comedy right yeah yep and he did a um it was either on like la law or NCIS or one of those, you know, procedural shows where, you know, he's, he was Martin Short. It's how you know him. And then, like, right at the halfway point of the show, it just changed. And he became super sinister. And you find out just, like, what a great actor he actually is. I think he was I think he was on Law & Order. Was I think it was Law & Order Criminal Intent. Yeah, okay. I'm going to just put that out there. I think that's probably it. Oh. And I know, I know I've seen that, and that's the only one of those shows that I ever watched. Yeah, those so. procedural shows also just kind of mushed together with me. I liked them as the uncle on um, Arrested Development, too. Yes. Like the crippled, like, 90-year-old uncle, shoot me, dragon! <laughs> and he's got the guy that carries him around. <laughs> that was a funny, funny character, too. All right, next up, what do you got? Uh, March 27th, 1868. That's 1868 with a 1-8 at the front. Patty Smith Hill, who wrote the lyrics to Happy Birthday to You. Recently come out of ownership and into the public domain. Um, but that's where that song came from. 1868. That's a long time ago. Oh, yeah. And now when you're sitting at your local chain restaurant on your birthday waiting for your piece of chocolate cake that came out of the freezer with a candle stuck in the top, they don't have to sing some Urzatz fake happy birthday song to you. They can sing the actual happy, one. Happy birthday. Yeah. I touched your cake with my penis. Yes, I did. What? What did you say? I said <laughs> nothing. Just take your cake. Yeah. yeah, and that's and that is the reason that was like an interesting piece of like trivia for the longest time because the family's estate owned the rights to that song and didn't give it up and were really, really, really it was expensive to get the rights to that song. It was like ten thousand yeah, dollars a pop. Which is why when you went to restaurant family restaurants like that, they never sang Happy Birthday to You. Famously in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. When they start singing Happy Birthday to You, they cut it off real short so they didn't have to pay the $10,000 fee. Well, that makes perfect sense in both cases. And uh, admittedly, I'll say that the now defunct restaurant that my parents used to own, we just sang Happy Birthday. Let them come (laughs) get us. They never did. Yep. And wrapping up the celebrity birthdays, March the 28th, 1986. 
Stephanie, Joni, Angela, Germanato, Germanata. Sounds like that sounds like the whole cast of Yeah, it's just one oh person. What was the name of that uh, show? I don't know. We just we just know her as Lady Gaga. Oh, I thought that was like five people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a girl group. Yes. Uh, what was, was that? What was that show? The MTV show on Long Island. What the hell was that called? Oh, oh, Jersey Shore. Oh, yeah. Sounds like the cast of Jersey Shore. Yes. So yeah, uh, admittedly, I don't know a lot about Lady Gaga. What I know about Lady Gaga is, I heard so many people say this sentence. I don't normally listen to this type of music, but I think Lady Gaga is amazingly talented. It, it, like I heard so many people say it that it became like the least edgy, edgy thing to say. Yeah, I don't know. To me, she's like any one of the other million Madonna wannabes. Yeah, apparently she's and not though. <laughs> because it's because it's twenty years after their Madonna was at her the height of her popularity. It it doesn't seem as I don't want to say copycatish, but as inspired by. But like from what I've heard, it's like. Well, okay, that sounds like Vogue. Yeah, she had that like. that one song there, um, Born This Way, that sounded exactly like Express Yourself by Madonna. Yeah, but a couple of other songs also sound like Madonna songs, too. And her, her sort of stage persona. I'll, I'll, admittedly, that style of stage persona has spread out so that, like, Britney Spears and a and, uh, hundred other ones, Taylor Swift and etc., all do that same kind of, like, girl with dancer shtick. To me, she sounds like Madonna. Yeah, uh, Lady Lady Gaga, yeah. Lord Gaga's wife. She uh, uh, she got her name because the I guess one of her managers thought that she, her voice was like the female version of Freddie Mercury, and Radio Gaga being a, a Queen song, which is that's that's where she got the Gaga uh, from. Oh, okay. Yeah, she got like a lot of notoriety for showing up in like the meat dress and stuff like that. And just showing up just like dressed weird all the time. Meanwhile, Bjork is probably going, yeah, whatever, fight me, bitch. <laughs> just because I'm a vegetarian doesn't mean I'm not good. Right? I wouldn't wear meat. I wore all vegetables in my dress. Yeah, just because I'm a, a Icelandic little minx. Uh, I, I have not heard much out of Bjork in quite some time. But I do remember hearing uh, one cover that she did that was absolutely... The worst song ever. All right, what do we have in the canon for the worst song ever this week? Miss McLarge, huge. Okay, so we're, we're going to get some flack for this, Bill. And I, and I want you to know that ahead of time. But the worst song ever for this week, the week of, of March 22nd to March 28th, uh, comes to us from the, the Halcyon year of 2014. Ooh. And it was, ironically enough, the most successful song of that year. Wow, that's uh, that's something. 2014, is that what you just said? Yep. 2014, because, I mean, lately we've been centering around, like, the 70s because, oh, yeah. there's so much to pick from over there. That's true. But 2014, wow, something modern. What do yeah. we got? You, you, you've so, piqued my curiosity. So I have piqued your curiosity. And it, it being the most successful song of 2014, that makes gives it a little bit more oomph, too. You have to think of, like, worst song, not necessarily in songs with lyrics that are dumb, or songs that the musicianship is poor, or songs that are way out of their time, or are novelty songs, but songs that are played to the point where they permeate your friggin' bone marrow, no oh. matter where you go. You are going to hear it at least four times, even if you're only in the bank for 20 minutes. I've already figured it out. Um, I figured it out. I know what song it is. What song is it, It's that Bill? freaking happy song, isn't it? It is Happy by <laughs> Pharrell Williams. So it was the only single released from the soundtrack to Despicable Me 2 and was used in a scene that was really kind of cool yep. and it fit the song well. 
And it was only about a minute and a half long. And on the release, this song is four agonizing minutes long. All right, hold on. Well, it, let's oh, uh, let's play thirty. Let's play, let's play thirty seconds worth of it. I had managed to get that out of my head, but here it is. Back yeah. again. Back again, and, and where it will bounce around like an errant ping pong ball caught in a draft for the next <laughs> the next four to five hours, possibly six. If your erection lasts more than four hours, you should talk to your doctor. Um, no, the song is like, it's ju- it's just, it's repetitive, and it's it's repetitive to the point where it never gets to a point where there's a crescendo to it. It just keeps going. It sounds like a commercial, but there's no product that it's attached to. Uh-huh. That's possibly the most annoying kind of song. It was absolutely everywhere in 2014. I mean, it may be, it may even be on my iPod. That's how much it was everywhere. And I don't like the song. And it may be on my iPod even because the song was inescapable. And it didn't matter yeah. what radio station you were listening to. You could be listening to rock radio and you'd hear this song. Even if you heard it as part of an advertisement, you'd hear it on like Bob FM, the idea that you find some random dude's iPod in a subway. Happy's going to be on it, you know? Oh. Yeah, it was it was definitely an oversaturation thing, but it, it kind of came and went pretty fast, though. Like, you don't really still hear it. At least I don't. I still hear it. Oh, do you? Admittedly, I hear it in the only place where it is an absolutely perfect song. And I'll tell you where that is. And it involves wearing roller skates. This is a fantastic roller skating song. And it's one that you hear probably twice a session. My guess was going to be your upstairs bathroom, but okay, My not upstairs bad. Bathroom. Nope, not bad. But no, you hear this song in roller skating rinks because it's a great roller skating song because it's thick as two short planks held together with stupid glue. And it's dumb, but it's it has a beat that you can, that you can skate to. It also provides cover fire for another song. That will show up at some point on the worst song ever, which pretty much is exactly the same song as Happy, <laughs> called Feel It Still by Portugal the Man. It's the same bloody song. I listened to, I put both videos on in sync today. Same song. It's two minutes and 50 seconds, which makes it a better song by virtue of being shorter, <laughs> but it's the same song. Uh, Happy falls into that category too, where, I, like, if you put Happy in a song, it's a hit, kind yeah. of. You know what I mean? Yeah, kind of. Like, we, t- we covered Don't Worry, Be Happy. We did a, f- a few months ago. If you changed the lyrics of that song to something else, it probably wouldn't have hit it. You know, musically, that's not a sound song. Right. But the whole "Don't worry, be happy," and then now I'm happy. You know, if you want to raise, you know, put the roof off or whatever the lyrics are to this song, that's it. It kind of goes into that same category. Is if you write a song about wanting to be able to fly, you got yourself a hit because people right. are like, "Oh, I want to fly." I can relate to this. <laughs> yes. It, ironically, another song that went to number one this week back in 67 is The Turtles Happy Together, which it, that song was ubiquitous for a considerable portion of my childhood, too. That song 
is everywhere on every compilation ever made of anything ever from any music recorded between 1940 and 1970. It's there. It has to be there. It's probably still played three times an hour on oldies radio. And again, it's, it follows, it falls into that idea that if you have happy in the title and it's part of the chorus, it's going to make people want to listen to it. And it's going to make DJs want to play it a lot. I have a weird conspiracy theory that the guy from the Turtles, not the one that played the guitar and sang, the other one that's just like threw the tambourines around. Yeah. I think that he time traveled into the early 90s and he was a search from third base. But that's just my really bad conspiracy theory. (laughs) They look exactly alike. It's it's true. Well, it's it's funny, like... uh, uh, Flo and Eddie, the, the, the two singers from the Turtles, they they also were in Frank Zappa's second iteration of the Mothers of Invention. So yeah, if you you're watch absolutely like, right. Yeah. If you watch like two thousand motels, they're this, they're in that. That's that's them. If you want to write a hit song, you should write a song being like, "I'm I'm flying and therefore I'm happy." Right. Uh, and you'll hit the number one. Now, almost a guarantee to be not a hit song is if you wrote a song about pissing the bed. Brings us back to our trivia question. What flower is associated with bedwetting? What flower is associated with bedwetting? Well, because I'm an amateur botanist, as well as a sourdough bread fumbler around her with. Enthusiast. No, I'm not an enthusiast. Believe me. Um, it's hard to be enthusiastic about just watching something sit there for <laughs> yeah, a day. Exactly. Well, look, it's got bubbles in it. That must be good. <laughs> I'm going to have to go out on a limb and guess... The uh, African piss tulip. <laughs> uh, no, it is not the African. Pi- All right, pistol. is it the Chinese piss daisy? <laughs> uh, no, um, the uh, northwestern piss. Violet. Okay, is it one of those? All right, no, your, your guesses are up. Uh, it was a little bit of a curveball because it's technically not a flower; it's a flowering weed. The dandelion, in French, is known as the pisoli, which literally translates to wet the bed. <laughs> uh, because dandelion leaves have have like a diuretic kind of uh, pro- yeah, property to them, sense. so yeah, you start drinking like dandelion wine, and next thing you know, you're you're washing your sheets at three o'clock in the morning. Well, I I know that you know in the summertime to go along with my late night six pack of beer, I always eat a giant handful of dandelion leaves, and that must explain an awful lot about my summer bedtime. Yes problems here's, here's a mistake i made a thousand times as a kid where you, you pick a dandelion right and then you split the the stem and then you lick it yep. and it's wicked bitter right and that mouth that taste stays in your mouth for like a day like the rest of the day it's in your yep. mouth it's like oh and yep. oddly enough i've done it many times like you would think after once you learn right it's like licking a nine volt battery right. like what? Well, i wonder what it'll taste like this time oh it still tastes the same oh, an open face all right but that's gonna wrap up the show for this week have a great week everyone we'll see you next week say good night jeff good night jeff good night everybody special thanks to james coster for our theme music thank you so much for listening to twibbly this week was way better last year you can follow and or message us over on Instagram or on Facebook at T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Make sure you tell your friends if you like our show. And if you don't like our show, tell your friends you did like it. It'll be a great prank you can play on them. Have a good week, guys. Because I'm happy. Everybody, sing along. <laughs> no. 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 Talk to your family. All right.